0: If you guys want to turn to Romans 10, that's uh, the first passage we'll look at this morning. Um, <clears throat> implications can be tricky things. Uh, you know, For example, we might hear a fact or a statement and say, oh yeah, I agree with that, or I accept that, or I acknowledge that is true. And maybe we spend a little more time throwing it around in our head and We don't like the implications, what it implies, maybe. You know, we might accept something at face value, you know. For example, um, you know, I'll acknowledge the fact that I've never been to a Georgia Tech basketball game. So, an implication from that might be that I'm not a fan. Well, you've never been to a game, you're not a fan, right? Well, no, I don't like that implication, because I am a fan. Of course, the burden's on me to prove that I'm a fan, having never been to a game, but uh, that's what I mean by implications can be tricky. You know, somebody says to me, "Have you ever been to a game?" I'm not ashamed about saying no. I'm, I mean, that's the truth. But then the follow-up question is, "Well, then you you don't like your own team? You went to school there. You're not a fan?" Well, yeah, I'm a fan, right? So sometimes implications of facts um, trip us up, um, and sometimes implications may be true or not, and you know, in the case the Trivial case of the basketball. I am a fan. I just have to prove it other ways than saying I go to every game, right? Um, and our topic today <coughs> carries lots of implications. Really, the, the, the fact or the statement is an easy factor statement to make. It's the implications that we struggle with the most. Um, this is the third in a series we're looking at, what are commonly called the steps to salvation. Um, hear, believe, confess, repent, and be baptized. And we're spending time on that because I think the trap I fall into with that is just memorizing a formula and giving formulas to people and saying, well, if you need to be saved, here's your formula. Go do this. Get back to me. You know, Like a doctor, take, take two pills, and that should fix everything. Um, but we know from the Scripture that salvation is not about a formula. It's about a relationship with God. He's the source of life, and without a relationship with Him, we don't have life. So we're going through these steps in this formula, and I'm I'm not shying away from the formula or saying that we shouldn't remember things like that, but I think we need to point people to Scripture with a formula, not point people to a formula. And so we're looking at the Scriptures behind some of these things, why these things are in this list or in this formula. So we looked at here in Believe the past two weeks, We're going to look at confess um, today. And there's a couple of ways you can use the word confess, and there's a couple of ways the word confess or confession is used in the Scriptures. One is um, to state a fact, to confess a fact, right? Um, Like as if you were a witness, you were an eyewitness. What is this fact, right? So you make a confession of a fact. And then the other ways that confess or confession is used in the Scriptures is owning up to guilt yourself. Uh, like confessing a sin. Um, Both of those are necessary, I believe, for salvation. But I'm only going to look at the confession as as in confessing a fact, and that's based out of Romans chapter 10. I'm going to treat confession of sin with repentance, when we talk about repentance, Uh, because I think those two are inseparable, really, when we come to God. And we're asking for forgiveness. I think confession is part of that repentance. Uh, So we're going to look at confession as it's found in Romans 10, verses 6 through 9. I'll I'll read that now, uh, beginning in verse 6. But the righteousness based on faith speaks as follows. Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is, to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is, to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we are preaching. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's where I believe this confess part of our formula that we often use. I believe that's the confession that is talked about there. That we speak with our mouth. The fact that Jesus is Lord, because we believe in our heart, as it says here, that God raised him from the dead, so oftentimes that's part of also part of people 's confession is that yes, Jesus is Lord, and he's the Son of God, and that he was raised from the dead that's easy, right lesson over <laughs> confession we found the scriptural basis for it. we know what the confession is. Um, but the implications behind it, I think, are, well, they can be tricky if, if we don't know what we're confessing, really. You know, the confession is just a statement of fact. Jesus is the master. It's very easy to say, and for many people who are religious, I mean, it even sounds right. Yeah, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is the master. Um, but I can tell you, I don't always look like that. I mean, I I might confess that. um, But I don't always live like that. Uh, And I I think it's the implications that catch me. Uh, You know, someone who's never made that confession, I think needs to understand some of those implications. Not every single thing. But I think what's borne out in the, the text James read for us this morning, in Luke 14, is that people need to count the cost of following Jesus before they follow him. Um, you know, in the, in the text that James read, it's interesting, you know, there, there are lots of ways Jesus could have phrased it. He could have said, you can't come to the kingdom, you can't be a child of the Father, you cannot be saved, but that, he didn't phrase it that way. He phrased it in, when he stated, you cannot be my disciple if you don't father or mother, children, brothers and sisters, indeed, even your own life. That's how he phrased it. And that's why this is tied to this confession, I believe, so strongly, is to confess Jesus as Master or Jesus as Lord is to say I'm a disciple. That's what that statement means, is that I'm in submission to him and I'm following him. I'm patterning myself, my character, after the Master's. And Jesus says, you can't do that if you haven't counted the cost, if you haven't thought about what it's going to cost you. Because it's going to cost you. You know, and he gives the example of the king who's going to battle. He gives the example of the person building a tower. You know, they don't just go out there and start digging up stones in the yard and say, oh, I'm going to build a tower. You know, they they, they get their materials together and they, they figure out what the cost is going to be before they start building. Otherwise you're going to be a laughing stock. You're going to be a, a point of derision for people to point at and say, look at what that person started and wasn't able to finish. And Jesus is using that spiritually. right? And so I think when we talk about confession as part of salvation, that people need to understand what that confession means and the implications behind it. And I think that's what Luke 14 shows is that If he's master, then that means I'm not master. It means my parents aren't master. My brothers and sisters aren't master. My possessions aren't master. um, My position is not master. There are a lot of implications, even just in that text, Luke 14, um, for what's there. So we've read it once. We've talked about it some. But I do want to read it again. And I want you to think about what the implications are of Jesus being master. Or or could be. Luke 14, beginning in verse 25 through 33. Now large crowds were going along with him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, Or what king, when he sets out to meet another king in battle, will not first sit down and consider whether he is strong enough with 10,000 men to encounter the one coming against him with 20,000? Or else, while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So then none of you can be my disciples who does not give up all his own possessions or all he has. If, if we're going to confess... Jesus is Lord we need to dwell on the implications of that before we make that confession otherwise we could be found to be one of these people we go into battle with 10,000 and we lose or we start to build something and we just give up because it costs us more than we're willing to part with it will never cost us the true value of that relationship with Jesus because that is the most valuable thing. But it can cost us more than we're willing to part with if we don't value Him as Lord. So we need to think about those things when we're teaching someone who's never made that confession that that needs to be considered. So there's lots of implications in that text. Um, You know, as... Master, Jesus outranks all other people in your life and all other things in your life. As Master, Jesus outranks you. Um, That's usually for me the hardest one to accept. You know, because pride will make me see myself as better than everyone else in my life anyway. Right? So it's okay if Jesus is above them. But when I have to place Jesus above me, it's a different story. And it's like, well, wait a minute. Uh, It's not what I signed up for. I signed up to be more like a peer or an equal with Jesus. And Jesus does not accept that. We cannot be his disciple. Let's look at some other implications of this confession. Um, Turn over to Hebrews chapter 10. You know, to say that Jesus is Lord or Jesus is Master on the surface initially, it you know conjures up these ideas and these feelings of duty and responsibility because He's Master, then I'm not. So, what are my responsibilities? What are my duties? And I think that's completely appropriate. But I like what this text in Hebrews 10 brings out that our confession carries with it as well. Uh, beginning in verse 19, you know, in, in just a prelude to this, you know, Hebrews 10:19 is. Uh, is the therefore point in Hebrews, as far as I'm concerned? You know, he's, he's spent by our, you know, by our writing and our breaking up things nine and a half chapters explaining that Jesus is the best. Period. He's better than anything you can imagine. He's better than anything you can come up with. He's better than the law. He's better than angels. He's better than he is it. And then ten nineteen is where he puts the therefore, and he starts drawing this home, right? So let's, so let's read this thinking about what he stated about Jesus being the best. Hebrews 10, beginning in verse 19. Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil, that is his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Because Jesus is the best, let us hold fast the confession of our hope. You know, there's a lot of hope tied up, or there should be, tied up in the confession that Jesus is Lord. I mean, this is this should you know. Whereas duty and responsibility sometimes bring on you know feelings of care or anxiety or you know, okay, Jesus is Master. I I care about what He's done. We need to think about the hope that's carried with that statement as well. Jesus is Lord. No one else. And what that means is He keeps His promises. He has the ability to keep His promises. He will keep His promises. And I can follow in His footsteps. I mean, that's what a disciple does, right? A disciple is somebody who looks like Jesus and and goes where Goes where his master goes. When we confess that Jesus is Lord, we have hope that he's gone to prepare a place for us. Not because we imagined that, but because he said that. We have hope that he's going to come back and he's going to claim us. And, I, and for me, it's it's helpful to think about that as, not as him claiming a group, which he's going to do, but claiming individuals. This one is mine. This one is mine. He's going to come back and claim me. Richard is mine. I'm taking him. If we confess he's Lord... That's part of the confession that we're making. That's part of the hope, the implication that's tied up in him being Lord and Master. Is that we believe what he said. Um, If we confess Jesus, Lord, we have hope that he's going to intercede for us. Because we know we're not perfect. There's one thing we know about ourselves. We know we're not perfect. But he said he would intercede for us. So if he's Lord, if he's Master, and I'm confessing that, I'm also confessing the hope that I don't have to stand before God with my accomplishments as the only thing to put before God and say, well, I hope this is good enough. Because that's not going to stand in judgment. What Richard does and accomplishes in this life is not going to stand in judgment. What's going to stand is when Richard is, in, is before the father, is that the son steps in and says, nope, he's righteous. I paid for those sins. When I confess Jesus is Lord, that's part of the hope that I'm confessing, is that he's going to do that. And that he's doing that now. That God is not executing his wrath on me right now because Jesus is interceding for me. And if I'm confessing in truth that Jesus is master, Jesus is Lord, I have hope that I will see the Father. I mean that's we can't even comprehend it. I mean, I, I feel fair in saying that. You know, the prophets when they tried to write it down, it's like you know, they just stumbled over themselves about fire and gold and crystal and um, if, if, if I'm confessing Jesus is Lord I have hope in that confession that I'm going to see the Father and not like Moses had to see with you know God covering his face and well, you can see me leaving you, you can see my back uninhibited glory of the creator and I'll be able to see it because of the body that Jesus has given me, that can withstand that, and has no sin, and is righteous, because Jesus is Lord. There are a lot of implications to making that confession. And I'm not suggesting that everyone needs to have full understanding of all of these implications, but I think these implications help us in our walk as we go forward. And they also convict us when we start hoping in something else. Um you know it it says in the text not just we need to hold fast our confession, it says we need to hold fast our the confession of our hope without wavering. And there's a there's a conviction, I think, there. Um, can our confession slip from our grasp? Yes. I made that confession once. But now that confession is slipping away from me. If if that wasn't the case, there would be no reason for this encouragement to hold fast to it. There are things that can pull us away. Not beyond our control. If it's beyond our control, again, there's no reason for this encouragement. Well, something pulls it away, it pulls it away. There's no reason to hold fast because you're going to lose it. Something too powerful comes into your life, well, it's not your, it's not your fault, it's not your problem, it's not your blame, it's not your credit, you just, you lost it. That's not what this text says. This text says, hold on to it without wavering, which means I have it in my control to maintain that confession or to let it go. And so while we're holding on to it, we need to be thinking about the responsibilities of being a disciple of a master and what that means. But we also need to be thinking about the hope that comes with who that master is, who that Lord is, and hold on to that hope, hold on to that confession. You know, things that can, I don't even like to use the phrase pull us away. They're not pulling us away. Things that can distract us, I'm going to say it that way. You know, my picture of life might be different than yours. I've got, you know, this image that's kind of layers. You know, life layers up. You know, one opportunity provides, you know, an activity I might engage in. And then there are other opportunities that spring from that that provide other activities. You know, I mean, a simple example is, you know, if someone has the intellect to be educated, you can go into education. And then the education then provides another opportunity for a job. And then the job provides opportunity for a career. Things kind of layer up. I mean, that's how I think about it. I'm not saying that is how it works you know but all those layers can become distractions Um, those opportunities and activities can be good in themselves or we can turn them to be bad in themselves they in and of themselves are neither usually one or the other But they can distract us from the truth, the simple truth tied up in our confession. Jesus rose from the dead. It doesn't matter what blessings I've had from God or what opportunities I've had in life and what paths I've taken with those activities, assuming that they're not sinful paths, right? Just one path or the other. I can get so caught up in those activities and those opportunities that I've been living and in, in wrapping myself up in in this life that I just forget, you know, Jesus rose from the dead. And I don't think about the fact that that's where my hope lies. It's not in the opportunities and the activities that I'm engaged in. Those are great. But sometimes I just need to boil, down, boil life down a little bit and go back to the confession and say, alright, Jesus rose from the dead. He wasn't there. He didn't stay dead. He's in heaven and He's returning. And that helps put all these opportunities and activities that layer upon layer upon layer in our lives into more perspective, I think. Better perspective. Because there's nothing in those opportunities in those activities that's going to give you promises better than Jesus gave you. There's no better promise than eternal life. And if you've made that confession, then you, are, you, you came to that conclusion yourself. Right? That's, that's what we want. But we can get distracted. And all of our energy and our focus is on these opportunities we've had, and these blessings, and these activities we've engaged in that may be absolutely fine in and of themselves. But we lose sight of our confession. I think that's why he says, hold to that confession of hope without wavering. Because, you know, with multiplication of opportunities, I'm just going to say, trials increase. I'm just going to make that generic statement. And here, here's an example I can, I'll, I'll give you. So, silly example, right? And, and I use trial loosely, Okay. <laughs> For some people, to drop their smartphone is a catastrophe. I mean, like, I would be sad, right? I would be upset. I'd, you know, I'd kick myself for dropping the phone. But, I mean, for some people, it really is like they cry. You know, I mean, it's a catastrophe. You know, the, and it's got to be fixed now or replaced right now. Right? I mean, that's a, it's a sim- simple little silly example, right? The only reason it's a catastrophe for that person is because of so many different opportunities and activities they've engaged in in their lives. They've gotten to the point where they can have this piece of technology and now that thing has become so important to them. Well, that same thing can happen with things that aren't so trivial, right? Like a job or a career that's lost. You know, Physical injury—that's—I mean, I don't mean like you know stubbing your toe. I mean, you know, losing a limb. Um, things that affect your life, right? We don't—we don't think of having all of our limbs as a blessing. Typically, we just think that's normal. Right? What's well, a blessing? Right? And it gives us opportunities to go engage in activities we couldn't engage in otherwise. And so sometimes when we lose those opportunities and we lose those blessings, we lose those activities in our lives. Our world crumbles. And I know that a phone doesn't make your world, you know, crumble, but there are things that are more important than phones that can cause our world to crumble. Right? Those are the times we need to hold on to the confession without wavering. How can you go through something that shakes your world and tempts you to have your world crumble? Right? The way you do it is you hold on to the confession. Jesus rose from the dead. He's the master. I'm going to heaven. That's how we hold on through these things. That's part of the implication of that confession. That's why I think the, the writer of Hebrews kind of says it two ways: Hold on without wavering. Don't just hold on, you know, and kind of flap in the wind and let all these troubles kind of just tear at you, right? like a flag that's been left out too long, it's shredded at the edges. It's in tatters. He's saying, hold on and, and, and don't get shredded. Don't waver. That's part of that confession. The, the hope that we have in Jesus can help us get through those things. Um, so for you personally you're the only you're the only one who can answer this you know other than God you yourself um, is is all of your hope that you have I mean just sitting here you have hopes and plans and ambitions is all of your hope tied up in the myriad opportunities and activities in your life right now is that where all your hope is tied up that's a very dangerous place to be Because those things do not last. Period. I mean, I don't even have to know what your opportunities and activities in your life are to tell you that. They just don't last. Slightly similar question. Is any of your hope tied up in those things? Be careful. Be careful. You know, we have a lot of blessings and opportunities and activities in this country. And things layer up on me, I know, all the time. And some of those things, I can find something I really, really like, and I put, start putting hope in that, that thing. And if it falls or if it crumbles, then I'm tempted to do the same. We need to boil life down to the confession. So hold fast to that confession if you've made it. Think about it. Dwell on it. Don't let go of it. And when things are hard, hold on to it with two hands. You don't, you, you you're going to be going through things in your life you don't have the answers to, but you know one thing. Jesus rose from the dead. Hold on to that. He's coming back. That's an implication of that confession. So if you've made that confession, hold on to it. Love your life. Live your life like Jesus is your master. Live it out. Um, And I'm saying that to myself. Live it out like Jesus is the master. Um, Live your life like you're forgiven of your sins. You're not guilty anymore. And You don't have that weight and burden hauling you down all the time. And other people will see that. And they'll want that. Um, Live your life like He intercedes for you and that He's coming back to claim you personally. If, If anyone here hasn't made that confession or needs to make that confession or if anyone here has made that confession and has just strayed away from it and needs an ear to listen or someone to study with or talk with um, to hold on to that confession better. These are the people around you right here who want to help you do that and can help you do that with with God's word so thank you for your time and attention